Thank you, Kathy, for leading us in prayer and reading scripture for us. We are in uh, Lent. This is the second Sunday of Lent, and we are all Lent. We are looking at the last 24 hours of the life of Jesus under this theme of man of sorrows. Jesus was a man of sorrows and acquainted with suffering. Jesus suffered tremendously over the last 24 hours of his life. Of course, he suffered over his entire life, but certainly over the last 24 hours of his life. And we're, we're looking at how he suffered at the hands of people. Jesus was a fulfillment of Isaiah 53, verse 3, that says he was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Listen to this. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. This is what we did to Jesus. We despised him and held him in low esteem. We caused him to suffer. Various people caused him to suffer. Some of those people caused him to suffer deliberately and intentionally. Some of those people uh, were unintentional and not deliberate about causing that suffering, but nevertheless, he, he suffered. Last time we saw how Jesus was let down by his friends, I was friends. He had put, uh, he had asked them to stay awake with him in the garden and to be there for him in his hour of need. This is the first time he's asked them for anything. Just stay awake for me. And they couldn't do it. And he, he felt the weight of their failure. He was disappointed by them. Today, we're going to look at how Jesus wasn't just let down, but he was betrayed. Being disappointed in someone is one thing. Being betrayed by someone is infinitely more painful. We can understand when people are not there for us, when we have hopes that they'll be there for us and then they let us down. We know that, that to err is human, as Alexander Pope said. We understand that we're flawed and we're weak and, and sometimes people don't come through for us. But betrayal, betrayal is a whole other level because betrayal, it, 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 it requires a, an active breach of trust. We, we think we know something about someone, and then when they betray us, we discover something entirely different. They have lied to us. Betrayal means treachery. Betrayal means disloyalty. It often means deception. Not always intentional, but that doesn't matter. You see, when you're betrayed, it doesn't matter whether it was intentional or unintentional. When you're betrayed and someone reveals themselves to be something that they're not, when they have presented themselves to be one way and you discover that they are an entirely different way, it cuts to the heart. It is the worst kind of loss that you can experience, especially when the relationship is so close, right? It's, it's one thing if you have a colleague at work that betrays you. It is a whole other level when it is a close friend, when it is a, a boyfriend or a girlfriend, when it is a spouse, when it is a, 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 a brother or a sister, it's, it's on a whole other level, right? David, not Peter, I was going to say Peter, but David describes what this is like in Psalm 55. And let me just plug for the Psalms, okay? The whole gamut of human emotions are and human experiences are expressed in the Psalms. If you 
are suffering, if you are feeling betrayed, if you are feeling lost, if you are feeling alone, if you are feeling overwhelmed by your sin or overwhelmed by your circumstances, can I just encourage you to go to the Psalms. Just start reading the Psalms. Maybe you're like, I don't know which one. I frankly, I don't care which one you start with. Just start reading them. And because they give expression to your emotions, especially you men who don't know how to express your emotions. <laughs> Let the Psalms speak for you and articulate for you what it is you're feeling. Anyway, that's an aside. Sorry. This is verse 12 of Psalm 55, verse 12 and following. If an enemy were insulting me, I could endure it. If a foe were rising against me, I could hide. But it is you, a man like myself, a companion, my close friend, with whom I once enjoyed sweet fellowship at the house of God as we walked about among the worshipers. David understood betrayal. Jesus understood betrayal. Maybe you have understood and experienced betrayal. What we're going to do is we're going to look at two betrayals from this passage. We're going to look at a very intentional and deliberate betrayal, but we're also going to look at an unintentional. An illiberate, <laughs> non-deliberate betrayal of Jesus. And then we're going to see how he responds again, because we're going to see ourselves in the betrayal, I think. But then we're also going to see how Jesus responds to betrayers, which hopefully will be an incredible comfort and, and balm to you as you discover that perhaps not only have you been betrayed in life, but you have been a betrayer. So let's have a look together. Two betrayals. First of all, the obvious betrayal, the intentional betrayal is the betrayal of Judas. Judas Iscariot. He is one of the most reviled characters in all of history, in all of literature, right? When, when someone does stab you in the back, what do you say? You Judas, right? This is a man who is infamous for his betrayal. In fact, in Dante's Inferno, which is, I don't know if you've heard of it, but uh, Dante was an Italian writer in uh, the 12th century. He wrote this remarkable work called Inferno, where he, with Virgil, a, a, a ancient Roman philosopher, Virgil gives him a tour of hell. And there are circles in hell, and every circle brings you closer to the heart of hell. So every time you go down a circle, you go to, you, you experience, or you, you witness uh, more serious sinners. So, you know, you start out with people who, you know, gossip, let's say, or people who have maybe stolen something, but then you get to people who have betrayed others, and, or sorry, people who have murdered and that kind of thing. And then you get to the bottom of hell, okay? The center. It's actually the center of hell. It's called the lake of, it's a lake of ice, and it's called treachery. That's the, the location of it. Interesting. And at the center of hell is Satan himself, who is trapped, waist deep, frozen in ice, but he holds in his hands, who? Judas. And he's gnawing on Judas's head. And he's scraping the skin and the flesh off of Judas's back with his talons. Because Judas is the worst, most wicked person in history, according to Dante. Most of us think of Judas as kind of a slimy traitor. 
But what's interesting is that the Bible actually does not portray Judas that way. The Bible doesn't describe Judas the way Dante describes Judas. In fact, the Bible almost goes out of, it, out of its way to demonstrate the ordinariness of Judas and his sin. Judas was, in a sense, just another one of the guys among the twelve. And he did all the things that all the twelve did. There's a, a place where Jesus sends out the disciples and he says, I want you to preach in my name and cast out demons in my name and heal people in my name. And they come back and they're like, it was unbelievable. We were preaching and healing and casting out demons all in your name. And Judas is right there among them. He was one of the twelve. He experienced the same power by being associated with Jesus as the other disciples did. He was not marked off uh, during the course of, of his ministry with Jesus. Now, you might say, well, wait a minute. I know that John, John would say that he's a thief and, and pointed that out. Yes, but, but John understood those things after the fact. So when he wrote it into his gospel, he wasn't saying that I knew all along that Judas was this slimy cheat. He's saying that we discovered this after the fact, in fact. Nobody suspected Judas as the betrayer when the events themselves unfold. And here's how I know that, because in the first part of the passage that we read, verses 20 and following, it said, when evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve, and while they were eating, he said, truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. They, all of them, were very sad and began to say to him one after the other, Surely you don't mean me, Lord. And what's, what's unique about this is that when Jesus says, you're all going to desert me, you're all going to leave me, they're all like, not me, Jesus. I'm going to stick with you. I am with you till the very end. It doesn't matter what happens. I will be by your side till the finish. And of course, Peter was the most adamant of all about that, but they all said it. Now here, when Jesus says, you're going to betray me, they're all like about that, but they all said it. Now here, when Jesus says, you're going to betray me, they're all like, not me, me? You think me? This is weird. Why are they all thinking like maybe he's talking about them as though they're not so sure? Why is that? Well, remember, we talked about this last week. The disciples had invested the last three years of their lives and their entire future in Jesus. They had hitched their wagon to his rising shooting star, right? And now it looks like they were facing defeat, right? A week ago, he had, you know, come into the city of Jerusalem on a, a donkey in this kind of kingly role and the people were flocking to him and they were waving banners and they were saying blessed is he who comes in the name of the lord and it was all good and they were pumped and excited and since that time he's doing nothing to advance that cause he's not rallying his troops together he's not trying to to you know like take power in any way he just goes back to his old way of operating. He starts teaching again and preaching again. And they all know, all of them, clock's ticking. The, the people in power, the, the power brokers, the religious leaders, they are after him. And the noose is tightening and they're coming to get him. And Judas, just like the rest of the disciples, he's thinking to himself, if I don't get out now, I'm either going to jail 
or I'm going to die. So what does Judas do? He sells out Jesus. And that is not all that shocking. It's common. Think about it. You know, the heat is rising. And, and, and as the heat rises, he sold his master out. Judas was the kind of follower who followed Jesus when it profited him, but then sells Jesus out when it costs him. That's the betrayal of Judas. That's the sin of Judas. Basically, he followed Jesus when it benefited him, and as soon as it costed him, what did he do? He cashed in his chips. Quit while you're ahead. Sold out the Savior. That's the sin of Judas. And you know what, friends? If you know your own heart, if you know your own heart, you got to admit, you tend to do the same thing, don't you? I have, I have talked to many people who, you know, in my neighborhood and in town here and just, you know, over the course of my life in various contexts, I've talked to lots of people who say, I used to be religious or I used to go to church. I used to. And what they say is very often, you know, I used to believe all that stuff, but then this happened to me or this happened to a loved one of mine, or this started happening in the world. And, you know, I just realized Jesus isn't for me. I just realized that all this Christianity stuff, it doesn't really pay off. It doesn't really, it doesn't really uh, uh, fulfill my needs. It doesn't meet my expectations, you see? We, we are just like Judas when we decide that, that, that when the going gets tough and Jesus sort of fails to deliver or we're about to have to, it's going to cost us to follow him, that we, we're going we're gonna to bail on him. We're going we're gonna to say this is too much. The cost is too high. So many people come to Jesus with a problem and with a need and they say, Jesus, I'm hoping that you are going to address this and I'm, I, I got a problem in my life and I'm going to put my trust in you and I hope that you're going to address this. And then if he doesn't address it the way that they want, he doesn't make the life changes that they expect, they run for the hills. Now listen, please listen to this. There are only two ways of getting into religion or getting into Christianity. Two, that's it. The one is, you come to see Jesus as the Son of God who deserves your allegiance and you get into religion to serve Him. You get into faith to serve Him. You, 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 you give your life to Him to serve Him or you come into religion for God to serve you. Those are the only options. It's one or the other. And Judas is a prime example of someone who got into Christianity, who hitched his wagon to Jesus because he saw him as a vehicle to get what he wants. And then as soon as Jesus is no longer getting him what he wants, boom, he's out. And here, listen, what is most alarming about the betrayal of Judas is that it's a betrayal of an insider. It's not just that Judas tried on Christianity and he kind of gave it a shot and went, eh, this isn't for me. Oh, no. He is an insider, okay? He is someone who was active in the faith. He was actively 
working with Jesus, trying to fulfill Jesus' mission on earth, at least as he understood it. And, and we need to understand that, that this sin, the, the sin of Judas, it's the sin of an insider. And you and I here right now, we are insiders. He was, he was a leader. He was an apostle for crying out loud. This is someone who had invested in the faith. And you and I, we are people who are coming to church. And we, you know, we got some people who gave some money in the, in the offering. So you're investing your money in the faith. And you're investing your time in the faith. You're part of a, a worship team that, that leads worship. And that's a pretty significant uh, uh, time commitment. There are people who are doing the tax clinic. There are people who are sitting on committees. And blah, 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 it goes on and on and on. We're involved. Judas was involved. Judas was, an, was a, a, a member of Jesus' inner core group. He was a part of Jesus' most central small group. And now look what Jesus says to him. Jesus says, Jesus says, do what you, you came to do, friend. Now that's not Jesus being sarcastic, okay? This is Jesus using a term of intimacy. He's saying, my devotion to you, Judas, is strong. It is, even, it is even strong enough to overcome this moment in the myth. Judas kissed Jesus as a way of betraying him. He used this. This isn't, okay, like if you've ever been to visit Europe, you know, everybody kisses everybody in Europe. It's not that kind of kiss. This isn't a kiss of greeting like Europeans do. You know, like that kind of thing. No, no, no. The, the language of the original is of a kiss of deep affection. It actually makes it sound like there were multiple kisses. We're talking major bro hug. You're my boy. Kiss, 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 kiss. My, my, my intimate friend. We're talking that kind of kiss, okay? This is the kind of sin that you can't actually commit unless you're a person who's been kissing Jesus. It's for insiders. Now, friends, I just ask you to please look at yourself. And don't think, please don't think you're beyond this. Haven't you ever wanted to cut and run? Why, why is that? Because lurking in us, this is why. Because lurking inside each and every one of us is a self-centered heart. We are curved in ourself, on ourselves. We, we cannot help but think of everything through the grid of self-promotion and self-protection and self-love. This is what what makes the human heart tick. We want our way. And even, even if we're, we're saying we're getting into a relationship with Jesus because we believe who he says he is about himself and we, 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 we want to give ourselves to him and to his life, we have these expectations, you think. You have these expectations. And when Jesus doesn't deliver on those expectations, I promise you, you will have an instinct. If this has never happened to you, let me tell you right now, I promise, it will happen to you. When Jesus doesn't pull things off for you the way you expected, you will have that little voice in your head that thinks, maybe this is all bull. Because it's not working. 
you don't want to be a Judas, do you? I've never heard a song that said, I want to be a Judas. Nobody wants to be a Judas. How do you, how do you avoid being a Judas? <sighs> Listen to Jesus. Listen to him. What does he say to Judas? He says, friend. Jesus knew Judas's rebel heart. <sighs> Verse 23 the one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him, but woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, Surely you don't mean me, Rabbi. Jesus answered, You have said so. In other words, Jesus knew. He knew. From the moment he called Judas into fellowship, he knew that Judas was going to betray him. He knew his rebel heart, and yet he keeps reaching out to this betrayer. Would you let the love of Jesus melt your heart like a blowtorch? Because that's what it is. When you see Jesus knowing your heart, he knows exactly how weak you are. He knows how rebellious you are. He knows how, 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 how fickle you are, how prone to, to say, Jesus, I, I don't want to bother with you anymore because I see that, that, that things aren't going the way I want. And maybe that's selfish, but I can't help how my own heart works. He knows all of that about you, and yet he still calls you friend. He still calls you friend. You are still his friend. Let me, let me put it this way. It's not just that he calls you friend. You are his friend. He is your friend. You're not being his friend. You're not being faithful. You're not being, uh, 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 um, showing fidelity. You're not showing integrity. And yet he remains faithful to you through it all. You need, you need to experience the kisses of your true friend. The kisses of welcome, the kisses of acceptance, the kisses of forgiveness. Judas's story is a warning story of someone who rejected those in entreaties. Judas rejects Jesus. He wants nothing to do with them in the end. His story is tragic. That's the first betrayal. But then there's a second betrayal. We don't spend a lot of time considering this betrayal, but it's actually the betrayal of Peter. In the verses following this horrible picture of Judas betraying uh, Jesus, we get these verses that describe Peter's betrayal of Jesus. Now, what do I mean by that? When, when the soldiers come to arrest Jesus, Peter pulls out a sword and he starts wailing away. And he hits this guy, Malchus, that's the guy's name. He was part of Caiaphas's entourage, one of his guards. And he slices his ear off. Now, I never thought of this before, but, but Peter, Peter was enraged with violence. We think, like, this was not a surgical strike where Peter just went, <laughs> like, he's not Legolas, okay? Peter pulls out a sword and he just starts wailing, and he takes out this guy's ear. Well, how did he take out his ear? He was probably trying to decapitate him. He probably, maybe he, like, his sword glanced off the helmet 
of this guy. Maybe he just caught a bit of the ear because he was swinging so wild and crazy. The point is, is that Peter tried to kill this guy. And that was a betrayal of Jesus. Because you see, what's happening here is a clash of kingdoms. All along, Jesus has been trying to tell his disciples, I am not here to to establish my kingdom through violence. There's a place in Luke 9 where the disciples are traveling through Samaria and the Samaritans don't welcome Jesus. And the 12, they're like, we're Jesus's posse. And so our job is to, you know, bring the smack down when people don't accept our, our guy. So they're like, Lord, do you want us to rain down fire and smoke these filthy Samaritans? And he's like, no, that's what the pagans do. The pagans fight fire with fire. The pagans attack uh, and, and raise their swords when, they're, when, when swords are raised against them. He rebukes them for thinking like pagans. Might makes right. That's the way of the world. But the, the kingdom of God is not like that. Now ask yourself, why did Peter pull the sword? Peter didn't pull the sword because he's like, I want to be like a soldier. Peter pulled the sword because he thought... He was defending Jesus' interests. He pulled the sword because he was thinking to myself, I am on your side, Jesus. I am on your team. I am here to help you, to defend you, to advance the cause of your mission. See, you can betray Jesus in the way that Peter did. Peter was not in sync with Jesus. He thought he was standing up for him. He thought he was doing a great deed. He probably thought he had the right to pull this sword and actually uh, attack Jesus with violence. And he nearly ruined everything in the process. Listen, you can think, you can think you're you're defending Jesus' uh, interests or you're representing Jesus' interests, but you are actually disgracing him. And how does that happen? Well, it happens the same way that Judas didn't listen to Jesus. Peter didn't listen to Jesus. Jesus had been teaching his disciples. His kingdom was a rule, not a place. He was telling his disciples over and over and over again. It's not where you live that matters. It's under whose lordship you live that matters. My, my kingdom is a, is a kingship. Not a kingdom, so to speak. So put your sword away. Now, Jesus is not advocating passivism here. That's not the point. But what he is saying is to Peter, you're not going to accomplish God's purposes in the world by using the world's methods. And Peter, in his zeal, he didn't listen. He forgot. He, he let his adrenaline go. He let his temper go. And he starts flailing away. And this, friends, is so natural, okay? This is so natural to us. Come on. How many of us over the last two years, and it really doesn't matter which side of the divide you're on, how many of us, when we've seen what's unfolded in the government and in society in the last couple years, have wanted to flail away? Maybe you've been able to restrain yourself. Great. I'm thankful for that. But you've wanted to. You know, I've, I've, I've been thinking a lot about this because here we are in 2022 and Russia is invading Ukraine 
And many of us are wondering, how in the world is that possible today? Weren't we past this? Weren't we past in Western culture? Weren't we past this idea that some kind of authoritarian ruler would rise up and with an iron fist start, you know, saber rattling in the name of nationalism and then actually think that he had a right to invade another sovereign country and attack its people so in such a bloodthirsty way. How in the world is this possible? And you know how this is possible? Because the human heart has not changed even though we have advanced through centuries of progress intellectually. I was reading an article. I'm going to quote this article because I think it was very, very well spoken. It said this, Throughout history, we see familiar patterns. In times of stress and confusion, people cry out for salvation and strength. Success, including military success, builds a bond with people. The victorious ruler connects not just with human pride, but also with profound human longings. You hear this? Profound human longings for protection, for purpose, and identity. Our need for protection and purpose and identity, these profound human longings that that lurk within the hearts of all human beings, they can be tapped by authoritarian rulers who say, look, I will provide the very things that your heart so desperately wants. I'm going to provide it. How, though? By wielding the sword. And people fall for it. And we say, I can't believe what's happening in Russia and Ukraine. I can't believe what's happening in Ukraine. And the reality is, is that up to 70% of the Russian population supports this war. And you think, how can that be possible? Well, I just told you how that can be possible. What does Jesus say to Peter? He says, Peter, put your sword away. Come on. Don't you know that I could call my father and up to 12 legions, more at least 12 legions of angels could come at my side. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen pictures of angels in children's storybook Bibles, but they always look like hardcore, uber elite, Navy SEAL level warriors. Right? 12 legions is 72,000 angels. But Jesus says to Peter, it's not the way of the cross. It's not the way of my kingdom. And he's not just saying, I have to go to the cross, so let this unfold. He's, he's saying, this is not the way of my mission. I didn't come to bring judgment. I came to bear judgment. The way to change the world, Peter, is not through coercive expressions of power, through money and, and through politics or through military. No, no, no. It's through sacrificial service. Now, listen, right now, It's hard to believe that, isn't it? Isn't it? Doesn't it look like might means right? Doesn't it look like if you raise a ruckus and and rattle your sabers, that's how you get things done and that's how you win? But think about this, friends. Who is the most influential person in all of history? Who has changed the most lives? Who has changed the course of history and changed the most lives in all of history? Who has changed, radically changed societies? 
It's Jesus Christ, hands down, the most influential person in all of history. There's no contest. Did Jesus ever have an army? Did Jesus ever have mountains of wealth? Did Jesus ever win an election? No. Yet no one has affected history more than Jesus Christ. Why? Because his kingdom was built on sacrifice and service and love. We need a good dose, friends, of remembering that right now for a whole host of reasons. When you want to hit back, when you want to do the Sean Connery thing in The Untouchables, anybody ever see that movie? It's about Al Capone. Sean Connery plays a cop. It's one of my favorite lines in, in, in film history. At one point, he's talking to uh, Elliot Ness, the, the, the guy who's trying to bring down Capone. He says, you want to bring down Capone? This is how you take down Capone. When he brings a knife, you bring a gun. When he sends one of yours to the hospital, you send one of his to the morgue. That's how you beat Capone. That's the Chicago way. And we watch movies like that. I know I do. I watch movies like, yeah, get the bag, I smoke them. And then you have this Jesus who says, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. It looks like weakness, but it is strength beyond our imagination. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Jesus, for the perfect friend he was to Judas and Peter. Help us to see that even though we have betrayed him, he remains a friend to us and a friend who, who, who goes so far as to lay down his life for us. May we remember the power of his gospel, the power of his witness, the power of his salvation so that we can be ambassadors of that in the world we find ourselves. In his name we pray. Amen. So we do have an opportunity for uh, questions at this time. If you have a question uh, about the message, feel free to ask it. You can see my number there on the screen behind me. You can text it to me. You've got to have pretty fast fingers, I suppose, but you can at least say question coming if you can't say the whole question. Or you can raise your, your hand and, and uh, ask your question Directly. Sure. So there seems to be this like um, for us this impossibility that like uh, Jesus was called to be the Christ, and so like um, Thomas was like or Judas was like kind of main part of history, and like has to do with that. Like, but he also chose to do that. Like, what? How would you explain that? Yeah, good, good question. And you know, I, I had a couple ways to go, to go with this sermon, and to uh, to do a sermon on the relationship between human responsibility and the sovereignty of God <laughs> was I couldn't do a little bit of that and stick it in, so I didn't do any of it. But it's a fair, it's a fair question. But I also can't really 
solve that for you in a quick answer after the sermon. So here's, what, here's my cop-out answer. The Bible always says that we are 100% responsible for our decisions and our choices, and yet God uses our decisions and our choices to accomplish his purposes. And every human being is part of that story, okay? Now, every human being starts out a Judas. And it is only because of God's grace and only because of his forgiveness that we can become a Peter. So every one of us is a betrayer and is a rebel by nature and by God's grace, through his power, our natures change so that even though we can betray like Peter did, we know the, sto- the end of the story with Peter ends with Peter being faithful to Jesus and, and a follower of Jesus. And so when anyone becomes a believer, that is, that is an act of God's grace in their lives. So it's hard to understand why Judas wasn't one of those people who changed. Other than to say, that was his role in history. There's a, there's a place in, in John, actually, where Jesus says that Peter, or that, that Judas's role in history was to be the betrayer. And there's a place in Romans where the Apostle Paul says that Pharaoh's role in history was to persecute the Israelites and enslave them so that God would be glorified. And there's mystery there. I confess there's mystery here. And part of that mystery is because of our individualistic belief that we want to have free choice to decide, and so it doesn't feel like free choices are happening. But the Bible doesn't have that same problem that we have with that tension. And actually, a lot of cultures outside of Western culture don't have the same problem that we have outside of that tension. But I can't get into the explaining why that is at this point. This is a shameless plug, but I did a Clear Thinking podcast last year all about this stuff, like three podcasts. So I don't know. I don't know if I did a good job, but I know that's one place to go to look for an answer. Okay. Where's that article from? Oh, man, where is that article from? It's a David French article. Anybody here heard of David French? I really like him. He's a very thoughtful guy. Uh, it's a David French article uh, from his, his blog slash website called The French Press. Um, is Dante's Inferno a true reflection on the design of hell? Um, parts of it. I don't even know why I read that question because I can't answer it well, but... Um, at parts of it, because there are, I mean, there are places in Scripture that describe judgment as having degrees. Like, don't forget that. So, it, it does look like that there are degrees of severity to everlasting punishment in hell. I, I don't understand how all that works. I confess, I don't. But it does seem, but I don't think... Like, you know that picture? This, Dante uses this picture. This is a very medieval picture, right? Like I said about how he's eating Judas's head. And, you know, you can see lots of medieval paintings where, um, you know, people are trying to climb out of hell. And it's like a volcanic sort of crater. And they're trying to climb out. And there's demons with pitchforks. And they're like, kicking them back in. <laughs> you know, step on their, their hands. And they go, ah! 
and they fall back into the lava and all this kind of stuff. That is all imagery that attempt to, to, to create in your mind an understanding of the severity of hell. I don't think that's what hell looks like, but at the same time, I think it's worse. That's Jesus' point in talking about hell is everlasting fire. He's trying to talk about how hell is this, this disintegrating existence. Uh, anyway, I have a tendency to get lost in all my own, my own head. I apologize. Um, looking at Psalm 55 and the pain of betrayal from a close person, does that intensity of the hurt promote isolation? As in, if you're not close, the potential for hurt is less. Interesting. Yeah, I, well, I guess, um, I guess, I, I think what the question is saying is, if, if the potential for betrayal increases by, by having close relationships, is that a disincentive to have close relationships in order to protect yourself from betrayal? And I would say, on, on one level, yes. However, it is human nature to long for intimate relationships. And to deny yourself intimate relationships is to deny yourself not only the possibility of pain, but you're also denying yourself uh, the potential for, uh, for deep and profound joy. So C.S. Lewis has this whole thing about how, you know, if you don't want to hurt, hurt, hurt your heart, don't give your heart to anything. Not even an animal. He says, put it in a box and close it up, tight, airless, lightless. And he says, but over time, your heart will turn to stone. And you won't even be human anymore. You may be unfeeling. Uh, you don't feel pain and, and betrayal, but you also don't feel love and joy and, and, and the emotions that, that come from uh, being a fully alive person. So I don't recommend that. What I do recommend... What I do recommend is finding, finding your deepest and most profound relationship in Christ because that is the one place where you don't have to fear disappointment or betrayal. He will never betray you. He will never disappoint you. When other people around you bomb and suck and blow it, Jesus never does, never once. And so you can always run into his love. Now, the problem is, is that for many of us, much of the time that's not enough. Let's be honest, it's not. Yay, Jesus loves me and he'll always forgive me and always accept me, etc. But so-and-so doesn't love me and I'm in the dumps. And the, the work of the Christian, the work of the Christian life, you know what it is? It's preaching this Jesus to yourself over and over and over and over and over again. You come to church, you hear the gospel, you read the Bible and you read the gospel, you pray the Bible and you pray to God and you, you express the gospel and you plead with him to pound this truth into your heart. I heard Tim Keller once say that basically you and I are all like vending machines and the gospel goes in and then sometimes you know how the, 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 the penny or the loony or the toonie goes into the vending machine but it doesn't go down to get your whatever it is you want. We all are living in this time where the gospel has gone bloop in, but it's not like gone all the way down. And so we're pounding on the machine to get it to drop. I, that's all I do, you know. That's my job is to pound the gospel into people. I'm trying to do it right now. That's our lives, people. 
But the deeper and the further it goes, the more, the more we can live in the the peace and the poise and the the wonder of the love of God. And it does become enough. It does become enough. Problem is, is that very oftentimes we have to learn that it's enough the hard way. When, when, it's, when we're putting our, our hopes in other things and then they get stripped away from us, those are the hard ways of learning that Jesus is enough. 